Welcome to God's Glorious Grace, a podcast from Hope Church Harrogate, where we are asking the question, have we really understood the grace of God? We're taking a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 1, considering a phrase of that chapter in each episode, and asking first what it teaches us about God, and second, how that affects our lives, hopefully with a good dose of warmth and fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Father is the father of a home and we are living present right now wherever you are if you're doing the ironing if you're out for a jog if you're sitting on the train listening to this actually right now you can tune your heart into the father and be present with him very often I look at my kids and I go oh you've done that but you've just copied me <laughs> it's utterly devastating oh that's what I'm like I'm so sorry I've given that to you but God never goes I'm so sorry I've made you patient I'm so sorry that you picked up that graciousness from me like everything he's got to impart to us is good I'm here today in the room with Mark and Rachel once again it's great to be together hi guys (laughs) (laughs) and this is a momentous day this is the last ever day that the hope office exists in its current guise so feel like there should be like champagne and celebration or something but how do you feel about it are you okay yeah i'm quite happy about okay, it yeah fine. yeah yeah fine. god is taking us on to new exciting things i just haven't found them on right move yet and uh, we do have cookies mark has contributed cookies to the mix uh, and we're Woo-hoo. really glad that you are here as well listener <laughs> we are today moving on to the next phrase part two uh, of that section in verse five so last time we dwelt more on predestined. Today we're going to look more at adoption to sonship uh, and to set it in context for as Rachel is going to read a few of the verses from Ephesians 1 where this is based. Well, we're starting at verse 4 today. Ooh, Ooh, we're mixing just, it up. Mixing it up. I know. Hold on to your hats, folks. Uh, so here we go, starting Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Sorry, let me say that again because I messed it up and I don't know why that bugged me. I'm going to start. <laughs> in love, he has predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have been in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding fantastic wow. Wow. you get a glimpse there at the phrases that are to come in future weeks and here on the God's glorious grace podcast what we do is for the first half we talk about what does this show us about God? What does it teach us about what God is like? And so there are a few things in this phrase in verse five that we're considering today that need mention and need discussion. We're looking at the combination of things he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I have the NIV 2011. Rachel is clearly reading from the 1984, I think, to be (laughs) Pulling out the slightly different wording, but don't it doesn't, judge me. doesn't change the meaning. It's adoption <laughs> to sonship through Jesus Christ. And I think we need to start in one place because this is a verse that's speaking to all of us. 
but it says adoption to sonship. So let's address this first of all. Is this a promise only to men or are women having to become men for this? How can we understand this phrase in 2020 or 2021, whenever you're listening to this podcast? Who wants to give it a go? Me? I'm getting arrows pointed at me. Fantastic. Uh, Well, for me, obviously, we're all children of God invited into this moment. And so in some, there are some Bibles who sort of take out gender specific language. But I think the sonship thing is quite important here because it's saying all of us, men, women, everybody, no matter what your background is, have access to become into adoption sons. And that's really important because at the time, women couldn't inherit. So if a woman was adopted, it was great, fantastic, you're well in the family, but you didn't have any rights of inheriting. If you were a slave, you couldn't actually be adopted. You had to be freed and then you could be adopted. And so here, when it says we have been adopted into sonship, this just isn't people getting adopted into a family. This is getting adopted into authority. It's getting adopted into the rights, the full rights that a son had through adoption at the time. So this is actually enfranchising. It's what a, a word. Thanks. It is giving power to all, all of those who had been disempowered, slaves, women, those of different ethnic backgrounds who didn't have access to this kind of inheriting. Uh, it, it accepts all into that power of sonship, which is powerful. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. So there's, it's not just we're adopted into some loving relationship. There is a future that's attached to it. There's a, an inheritance, uh, a power and authority. And that's, that's really helpful. And so, yeah, brilliant to start on that note. What we're talking about here is not just uh, your name changes, not just that someone loves you, but that your status in life, your station in life is utterly altered uh, and Although for us today, my daughter, who's the eldest, will inherit whatever I write in my will for her. Uh, she better behave. Uh, <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. Cut that bit out. Uh, in those days, as Richard said, only sons would inherit. And so that's why it's in there. Really helpful. Uh, and so we've got that about us. But it tells us some things about God, which is the first part of what we do on this podcast. What does it tell us about God? I guess there are two standout words for me. It tells us he's the father. And it tells us he's the adopter. Uh, so perhaps if we take those and chew them over a little bit, how's that sound? Yeah, I think if we look at fatherhood in our generation and throughout all generations, obviously as children we have fathers. Uh, and therefore uh, our experience of fatherhood is through a lens of no one is perfect. Um, and for some, sadly, they would never have known a father figure. There are houses and homes uh, which n- don't ever have an experience of a male father figure. Um, and so we, we find ourselves in perhaps a bit of a sea here where for some they have had good parenting and good fatherhood and for others it's completely absent or been something less than perfect. And um, so we have to have a renewed mind. This is what this is about. We have to really look at the father, the fatherhood of God as it's expressed to us through scripture and obviously so expressed to his son Jesus on earth. 
And uh, I think when we look at the fatherhood of God, we are peeling away at the layers of Trinity. And that is the uh, essence of perfect relationship. And so, you know, when we mention father, we have to mention relationship yeah. alongside. And what is the nature of the father in his relationship? And we we see him, yes, bursting through the heavens over Jesus, you know, with both these my beloved son and then you get these phrases of him being so for Jesus, so for his exaltation, so for what he is doing. Uh, and so they get this perfect harmony, this perfect unity. And of course, then, uh, then as that's come from the Father, Jesus then reflects that back to the Father. And, and we see something uh, here that is probably distinct and of a quality that perhaps as a dad we aspire to but we know that we 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 fall short uh, and of course uh, it being this amazing father um, means also that we are all his favorite sons uh, and daughters of course uh, and so that's a special thing as well because we've all lived in families if you've had siblings where we felt dad favored mary over john and, and that but actually we're in this glorious perfect father who has the capacity to make each one of us his favorites yeah i one of the things i reflect on when it comes to god the father or two things, I think. One is that we often, as I think it's a natural thing, we use the image of whatever father we had as the lens through which we judge God the Father. So we think, you know, God the, our Father is like my dad in these ways. And so if you didn't have a dad present, then often there's the sense of God being absent and, and we sort of view that lens. And I think one of the challenges is to not think that God is just a better version of what we had, but actually God is the blueprint of of which all fathers are attempting to achieve to. And I think it's a different route to viewing the father. And so I, I look to scripture for what a father is called to be rather than look at what is my dad on his best day? And that must be what God is like, you know? And yes. so I think there's a an approach to that. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about God the Father is that is that it is so much more diverse and beautiful than we can imagine. And I think we all grab onto these things. So, Mark, I love hearing you talk about God as being this exuberant, rejoiceful father. But I also love the discipline of a father and the peace that a father brings and a and the challenge and the, you know, I remember my dad taking me rappelling off of a mountain cliff thing. And he's like, you just got to do it. You just got to lean back. And that sense of, of challenging you to be braver than you ever thought you could be. And there's so much in the character of God mm. that we sometimes forget to name in the broadness and depth of his character that expresses itself in his fatherhood. Yeah. Wow. And I think we really could, we could dwell and talk about this for a very long time. We've touched on it in previous episodes. There are one or two places it might come up again, but I think both of you have talked about this, that there is a real key where we understand that seeing God as father is different to earthly father-child relationships because one of the components when we're relating to God is perfect, like is perfect. And there's always brokenness in the mix mm. when we're from both ends, from all parts. Uh, but when we're working with God, He is perfect, and so it, I like the way you've uh, spun that around, Rach, in terms of it's not just 
better than the best version we can imagine of a human relationship, actually, is the blueprint. And, mm. you know, you can read John's gospel, can't you? And Jesus starts talking about how he and the Father are one and connects the Father's love me, so I love you. And it, you, you just start to see this dynamic. You go, wow, there, there's more in play here than our brains start to comprehend when we use this language. And uh, I think it's really helpful provocation to dive and to consider more deeply, oh, what does this mean? What does this look like? The second thing it shows us about God is that he is the adopter. And so let's consider that. What does God being the adopter show us about who he is and what he's like? Yeah, I think, again, we've spoken about imperfect fathers. And again, uh, adoption uh, is also a process that we enjoy uh, in our society but also is an imperfect uh, process. But actually, we firstly see the, the act of grace is totally initiated by, by the father who adopts us. Uh, and there's something wonderful about the father's adoption, which is even higher than the level of adoption that Paul is referring to in the Roman context, is, of course, um, we get his name, which happens in adoption, but also we get his nature. The very thing that no uh, a, a adopted child can receive from his parents, his new parents, is actually his nature. But we are partakers of the divine nature. So there, there is a dynamic here. This is not just a legal process that's going on. This is a genuine exchange, as we know and understand about salvation. He gives me his life. Uh, and that's a very uh, exalted thing and, and a very precious thing. And again, you know, adoption in terms of the kingdom and, and, and the grace of God is this whole thing that grace lifts. The grace of God always elevates us. And there's that wonderful verse in the psalm that talks about he takes uh, the poor and he takes the needy and he lifts them from the dust and from the ash heap to sit with princes and I know that's probably more what we want to talk to in the second half, but it reveals the nature of the Father that he will hold nothing back from us. He wants us to have the full gambit, as was said by Adam earlier, the same as Jesus has enjoyed and experienced, so it is to us. And that, that I think, reveals a lot about who Father is. Yes. He doesn't do things by part. No. He never half finishes something. No. My life is full of things I've started but not finished. Like? <laughs> I am not a complete finisher. <laughs> uh, if you are, then come find me. I need some more of you in my life. Uh, he doesn't do things, by, and, and he doesn't do things to just a partial level. And so it's not just he changes your name. It's not just there's a certificate. It's not even just that your future's altered. There is, you become the children. It is almost a DNA change that goes on here. So it's not, it, it's, again, it's, so much greater than our idea and concept his uh, real heart his heart change that goes on because he makes us to be like him mm. wonderful wow rachel any comments on this whole area well, as as you were talking both of you i was just reflecting on how practical adoption is this isn't just a, a philosophy of family yeah. it's a it has very practical consequences you know, human adoption, yes, but God's adoption has this very practical consequences of what he has done that I just am in awe of, that it affects everyday life. It affects 
our days for eternity. It is, it is a process that is real and, and specific. And I, I find that, uh, I just was struck by that. I was also reflecting on how human adoption can break down, but how you talk about adoption in the kingdom is a, a, a permanent transformation. Can God's adoption be undone? No, never. 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 And there's a security in that that I Wonderful. think Wonderful. Yes. is is astonishing. Yes. Yeah. Wow. There you go. That's what it shows us about God. Then after that, we need some halftime oranges, and it's coming close to Christmas at the time of recording and publicity. So, da 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 da, da halftime oranges. Halftime oranges. Halftime Christmas oranges. Would that be a halftime Christingle? I don't oh. know. Uh, right. So, I have three Christmas questions. <laughs> you can see the uh, trigger for Rachel when she talks about Christingles from Christmas. her time as a as a children's pastor. <laughs> I have to say. Christingles Art Hope Church has been fantastic. Ruth and her team have organized Christingles delivered to everybody's house. And I I I had a I had a little like psychological trigger. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Christingles. I have made thousands of Christingles in my lifetime, and it is my goal in life to kill them all. And <laughs> but now I'm making one in my home. So thank you, team. Uh, right, so our Christmas questions are this. One, what is the worst Christmas movie ever made? This is not a right or wrong question. This is just a general, like, you know. Worst Christmas movie. Worst Christmas movie you've well, seen. Well, according to a Zoom I was on re- recently, that was, I have to be, Die Hard. Ooh, ooh, interesting, <laughs> interesting, interesting. Uh, that was in con- put set against uh, The Elf. Yes. <laughs> well, of course, yes. But would you claim that to be the worst Christmas movie that I've, you've seen? I, I can't think of a Christmas movie I've watched. <laughs> Whoa, you need to work on you. Yes, Welcome to Half Time Confessions. I know, Mark. exactly. I own like 70 Christmas movies. They were decorations for a while. Anyways, what do you think, Adam? Well, I think any bad Christmas movie I've ever watched, I probably fell asleep in. Oh, wow. So I, I didn't know it was bad. I just nothing comes to mind. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna go for Home Alone four. Just gonna oh, lay down there. But what if there's a number that goes beyond two on a film? Why would you bother? Fine. And why is that a Christmas film? Because it's at home. They're home alone at Christmas, oh, and I people see. are trying oh, okay. to break in, and then they have to cause damage, which would probably oh, kill these okay. people. But it's fun and Christmassy. Macaulay Culkin's not in that one, is he? No, not in four. No. No. We're very into Home Alone in my house. It is getting. I am. Old. I do love one and two. Well, there you go. See, three is my son's favorite. So I'll let you, I'll drop that off your house. Oh, great. And you can watch that with your children. Thanks. Thanks for the Christmas tingle. Uh, right. So <laughs> which Christmas character, well, character, real person, which Christmas persona, persona, person, because I don't want to say character because they're not characters. They're real people in the Christmas story. So who in the Christmas story do you think? There would you go. Been? That's how to say Thank it. Thank you. Gosh, I'll get there. Who in the Christmas story do you think would have endured lockdown the best? Elizabeth. Interesting. Why Elizabeth? Well, she was she was away in confinement, wasn't she, as an older woman or more mature woman? There you go. All right, Elizabeth. Adam? Uh, the donkey. The donkey. <laughs> Technically, the donkey is not biblically accurate. <laughs> you have to do a biblically accurate Christmas Oh, sorry. Person. I thought we were doing the Christmas story. Um <laughs> no donkeys in the Christmas story. No. Shock horror. If that's news no. to you, then stay tuned for series two, where we do God's glorious Christmas, Christmas story. Um, um, well, I was. I, I think Mary. Mary's very patient. 
Mm. She treasures things up in her heart and you've got a lot of time for treasuring things up in your heart in, uh, in lockdown. Interesting. See, I was going to go for the wise men because they had to do all the scrolls and they had to spend like ages uh, yeah. like doing things. Interesting. All right, and our final... But there are three of those, so... They were to It learn. depends if they're one household or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Welcome. They were in tier one. It was fine. Uh, right. As long as they weren't seven. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the last question is, what is your favorite family Christian Christmas tradition that happens in your home? Stockings. Have we not had that question before? Did I? Deja ask that vu. Question? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, then tradition. never mind. We'll bail from it then. Yeah. Great. Part two. In the second part. <laughs> In the second part of these podcasts, we now turn to ask how can this understanding of God and his glorious grace towards us affect our everyday lives? How can we carry that grace into every sphere of life? And Again, we might have to talk at triple speed, I think, to get this into the normal length if we want to cover everything that adoption as sons through Jesus Christ brings to this part of the podcast. Perhaps let's start with this. Jesus is the son of the father and we're adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ. We get the same status, the same relationship with the father as Jesus has uh, That's pretty amazing and a bold claim. Let's spell it out a little bit further. What does that mean for us if we have the set now have the same relationship with the father that Jesus had? Well, the first thing I think is about access. And uh, that that we uh, we sometimes think uh, and we look at Jesus and we think he's got this uh, unique uh, interaction with the father in terms of his access, that the father always hears him. The father always responds to his requests and his prayers. Uh, and uh, to, to realise, actually, no, as a, an adopted son, I now have that same access, that I can come before the father at any time, that the father's eye is constantly on me, uh, opens up, whole new vista of relationship um, that isn't uh, bound to a a one-way dialogue which often our prayer life is about but Jesus entered into communion uh, with the father and lived in that that realm of communion and so for me the access is 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 a massive part of uh, adoption Mm. yes I really like how John 15 Jesus talks about the language in the NIV is abide, isn't it? Abide in me. And uh, in the message, it talks about make your home in me as I have my home in the Father. And so there's this picture of like a natural place of residence is to be with the Father. So we can make our home with it. It's the place that we normally are. Your home is the place you can relax. It's the place where you exist. It's the place where you... Uh, where the almost helps bring some definition to who you are right you see someone's house you suddenly understand them a little bit more right and we're to make our home in God because we can just as Jesus has I think that's that's an amazing dynamic in what's going on here yeah it's interesting because outside of this and not knowing Adam was going to mention abiding till the other day I'd been doing some study for another context in terms of abiding in Christ because it's piqued my interest 
uh, on it. And interestingly, looking at um, one of the Greek words in, in John 15, 4, it, it means to continue to be present. And I found that a really interesting phrase that uh, we, when we abide in Christ, we are continually present. And that's a two-way thing. That means that I am continually, eternally present in Christ, but also there's this whole sense of being aware, being present in the moment. So as my day progresses, I am present with Christ. And um, what I love about the whole uh, abiding in Christ, as we've mentioned about adoption earlier, it's its permanence, that I am connected to this vine, this home, permanently and it's father who is the vine dresser he's the one who keeps me permanently and again this whole thing of grace flows through that a picture of in inhabiting or living with uh, with god in the now moment present uh, is is a wonderful thing mm-hmm. uh, and again when we think of fatherhood we think of home. That's that. That's what the, the the context brings us into. Father is the father of a home, mm-hmm. and we are living present right now, wherever you are. If you're doing the ironing, if you're out for a jog, if you're sitting on the train listening to this, actually, right now you can tune your heart into the Father and be present with Him. Wow. For me, there's something also about this. This oneness that that is promised when Jesus says, you know, I am I am one with my father and that sense of oneness. I I was struck by this with my team because I've worked with my team for a long time. And in meetings, if I wasn't there, they would used to say, well, I think Rachel will say this. And I disagree with Rachel because of this. They got to know my mind so well that they could repeat what they thought I would say. But over the years, it's gotten to the point where we've so lived in each other's heads and, and made that thing that now just one of us needs to show up because we sort of function of a hive mind. We're all of the same mind. <laughs> and it's been, it's been really interesting for me, the, the comfort and the strength of, of knowing that they can just speak for me because they know my mind and they, we are of the same mind. And for me, that sense of having the mind of, of Christ, Christ and the, the mind of the father to speak to people and to genuinely have the heart and the mind of the father for them to sense what he's doing and to come along board his plans that sense of having being one with the father is just astonishing to me because it's so practical it just affects how I see myself how I see others how I function in my day how I minister and that promise is so grand for me yes absolutely and uh and that's because your team they're not your minions yeah right they're, they're, they're welcomed in, they're given authority, they're given the ability to think for themselves yeah. and to disagree with you, although yeah. that gets us into slightly difficult water. Yeah. But um, so when we're talking about being brought into the family, it's not as a, a subservient part of the family, it's part of the family. Yeah. And so, again, continue that the parallel in John 15, Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Yes. Mm. And I, I love the picture there that 
you know, if you look at a family, a rich Roman family home, you've got the table with the family around it and you've got the servants waiting on it. And he's like, no, 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 you're not waiting on the table. You're at the table. Mm. You're invited to the, to the table where the dreaming happens, where mm. the connection happens, where the planning happens, where the scheming happens, where the creating happens. Mm. And I think that there's a mindset shift here, isn't there? When we understand our adoption as sons in Jesus Christ, that we're, we're no longer the minions or we're not the minions we're not servants we're not slaves we are sons and daughters at the table fully functioning as part of what's going on there and that i think revolutionizes how we view our lives because we see it as co-creating with god Mm. not just having to do what the boss says Mm. there's a totally different dynamic there isn't there yeah so uh you've mentioned the word friendship and um I remember back in 2014, the beginning of 2014, I was just utterly exhausted. In fact, I would say I was on the verge of burnout and uh, leading a church. And um, the guys around me, when I said how I was feeling, said, you need to take some time out. So I did, and quite a bit of time, actually. Uh, But while I was away on a hillside in Wales um, and just just seeking father's face really god spoke to me it was as close to an audio voice as you get and he said mark you wanted to be great and you wanted to do great things but i simply wanted to be your friend and it was just an extraordinary unzipping of who i was at the time extraordinarily restorative um and led me to take some really drastic actions like stepping down from leading the church at the time and then just at christmas last year uh, one of the charities uh, that i'm involved in mercy uk sent out some stuff in the post which were little paper coasters and one of them fell out and it was this come and hang out and i felt god immediately say remember i simply want to be your friend and it just that friendship with God, not that I'm saved, that thing of minions saved to be a worker for God. No, I am a friend of God. I've been brought into friendship, but I have also been brought into the family business. So verses that annoy me, like, you know, in John 14, where Jesus says, you know, and greater things will you do, which just frustrates me. Um, actually, it's in the context, firstly, of friendship, but that's another thing that I've been brought into the same authority. I've been into, brought into the same family business uh, of God. I, so I co-labor with my, my, my elder brother, Jesus. And this whole dynamic shifts uh, when we grasp the actual reality that as sons, we are friends with God. And that's another whole area to dig into and, and plumb it, really. Yes. Last time out, we talked about the need to learn to live as beloved children of God. Yes. <clears throat> so there's a, a learning to receive and yes. live in love. Yes. But there's also a, a learning to operate as a, as a certain, as part of the uh, family business. Yes. And I think so often we can see that, you know, make this artificial distinction between the real stuff like the kingdom activity that pastors and missionaries and you know preachers and whatever people who make christingles do like the real stuff 
And then we think, oh, all the normal everyday stuff that I do, my, my parenting, you know, <laughs> the work that I do, the my hobby on the side, the sports team or the, the craft that I do, that's that's just you know the normal stuff, the real stuff happens somewhere else. But when you start to understand that, well, what a, a son with the authority of the family business does is the, like, is the stuff because he is the son. You go, no, what I do is the stuff. It's not an inferior version and other people do the real thing. Mm. And that is... So important, and I think I think I see so many people just utterly shipwrecked because they think what they're doing is worthless. Yes, mm. come on. And you're like, no, no, what what you're doing? It, even though you don't feel it's significant because of who you are and what mm. God has made you to yes. be, it is significant. You yes. just might not see it. I was talking with a guy yesterday, and I was talking with a guy yesterday who had been talking to another man whose job was mowing grass, and he's no one ever sees it. It's like a private estate. The only person who ever sees it is his boss, and he's like, you're like, wow. But it's significant. Mm. Like God puts you in a place because of who he yes. is and the faithfulness he brings what? to the task. It's significant. Yes. Yet in the world's eyes and you know, other people might say unhelpful things, you end up thinking, oh, this doesn't matter. Mm. And it might be, you know, you're listening, you think, well, well, what I do in this sphere of life doesn't matter. No, it does because you are a son of, with authority uh, in the family business. That's a, an enormous mindset change for us mm. in our mm. world where it seems like there's elites mm. in some part who run the world and the rest of us are minions no no we are those who know god as sons, sons of god, god. Yeah. and so what we do is the real stuff and it is important and it is significant yes. even if the world don't tell us it's significant even if no one else ever sees it correct it's still significant one because of who we are that's one. massive that is massive yeah yeah releasing utterly releasing wow yeah thank you jesus yeah should we talk about the other thing that goes on here which is we're all adopted as sons yeah. in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that means that when we're relating within the church, it's to our siblings. Yes. Yeah. Have you always felt that you're relating to siblings in the church? Okay, now I have to say I'm an only child. So I wow. have all okay. sorts of stuff around this whole brothers and sisters thing that is that that when people say brothers and sisters, I watch everyone who have brothers and sisters react in specific ways that I have a total blank for um, because I don't have siblings. And so for me, it's quite a, an interesting question for me. Maybe in someone who hasn't you know, had a father, I, I haven't had brothers or sisters. And so therefore, knowing how to engage with that is pure fantasy on my part rather than what it actually is like. I, I think when, when this came up, I, I was reflecting that one of the fundamental shifts then is that this whole thing of me, my, I becomes we, our, us. And in the dynamic of family, uh, what you, you do see is the elders in those children, the older children, passing on what they, they learn. And in fact, it's quite interesting to watch in a family how... Uh, perhaps a first child's learning to speak, a first child's learning to walk, a first child's learning to um, ride their bicycle, for instance, not through any other dynamic than they are first. The younger ones seem to pick some of those things up, irrespective of ability, much, much quicker. And, and so 
that's a really important dynamic when we're talking about being brothers and sisters together in Christ, that actually there is to be this natural flow that actually those that come after us go ahead of us because they're catapulted on the back of where where we have come. Uh, And, 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 you know... um, in some households, this might not be true, but I, I know uh, for when I was growing up, uh, I shared a room all the time till my brother left home. Uh, and uh, I, I know for my my rather large family of six children, you know, shared rooms was, was, was something that, that, that they experienced a lot of. And yes, it brought its own tensions and chafing, but actually it produced something in them in terms of who they are now in, in, in society. Just fascinating that I'm sitting here as not an only child, assuming that everyone knows what brothers and sisters are. The, the, the assumption that everyone knows what that is, is, I'm just like, oh man, I'm convicted that I just assumed everyone knows what a brother and a sister is. So that's really helpful. Thanks for that, Rach, disorientating <laughs> me in the middle of this. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, one of the standout things is it, it has to change our view of church. Yeah. And so... For good and bad, there's been massive influx of sort of organisational management and business uh, wisdom, I guess, into the church. You know, so we we structure and and as a church leader, you feel like you're constantly fighting this pressure that's trying to build a pyramid, right? So where there's leaders at the top and everyone else below, and you're like, no, when you read the scriptures, it's, it's family and it's it's messy and it's brothers and sisters together and there's this challenge to treat those who are older than you as mothers and fathers and uh, perhaps those who are younger than you as sons and daughters. And that is a totally different mindset than show me the organisational structure so I know how the authority flows. You know, there's a two-way flow of stuff because different people bring different things. Very good. And I think we have to get our heads around it. The the love that flows in a family is very different to an organisation. And if we're all sons and daughters of God, therefore, it's love first rather than authority or organization. Okay, I'm going to ask questions now as, yeah, as on. an only child who has an only child. So Welcome we are, to sibling school. Thank you, thank you. I'm living in this realm. So I've worked with a lot of families. So my perception of people who have multiple children, two of my best friends both have four children, um, there is a hierarchical struggle within those children, so in my head, when we talk about like, it's this wonderful brothers and sisters experience, my sense of multiple children in structure is there is some sort of shoulder bumping of who's in charge and who has more authority and I'm in charge because you. And so I find even within that dynamic of what we're saying of the father of God, the fatherhood of God, we take his blueprint and then lay it on fatherhood yeah. here. I think I'm sensing that there is a, a brother and sisterhood that we're called to in the kingdom that that we don't necessarily accurately reflect within human families. Because um, in my head, as an only child, my family was only positive. It was just like you never, no one ever took your stuff. Everyone was positive. You were always welcome <laughs> and peaceful. So anytime I go over somebody else's family, it was constant bickering and knocking you down and taking your stuff and screaming and yelling. And I was like, why would anybody want brothers or sisters? Because in my 
home is in this wonderful, happy place. And in the same way that, you know, my family, there's no one that is just how my brain of family has always been. And so this whole brothers or sisters thing has always been a challenge to me because it has never looked, honestly, appealing to me. Yeah, I think family is, is, is dynamic. It is messy. And it is challenging being, uh, you know, I was in a family of four. Uh, and the word it's unfair would come up many, many times. She did this, he did that. Um, but it, it's in that hotbed of that uh, relationship. We can be shaped and we can be formed and we can grow up. Uh, and uh, I think that's the same in, in the church dynamic. I mean, if, if family was all... Um, uh, rainbows and candy floss, as someone said recently in a meeting I was at, um, half the New Testament wouldn't exist. I mean, half of the New Testament is there to address these very infighting, these uh, power struggles, these uh, backbiting, scratching, speaking against one another, undermining one another. The, the, the very thing we're talking about the, that we're praying for is as we imbibe the grace of God that we would be gracious or graciousness is missing you just have to look through the book of corinthians the two letters of to the corinthians to tell you that there was some things wrong and, and you look at philippians about you know let, let, let make my joy complete take on the same <laughs> heart of christ you know they, 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 so so yeah it it, it is messy it, it is um but but again that's where parenting comes in and parenting is is not for for mugs and it's not for wimps it's 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 hard labor at times as you juggle these uh growing um in unique individuals trying to help them become citizens of of planet earth in a way that they're not just going to be consuming uh the whole thing for themselves and and so yeah i think god in his infinite wisdom has created church to be an expression of family. And I think when we get that, then we realize actually um, we, we are to open our hearts and expose ourselves to the, the firefight of, of, of personal relationships. Now, that doesn't mean we are uh, intimate with everybody in, in, in a church space. But there is these, we are, you know, this whole thing of being a brick in the wall where there are close bricks around us that God has brought into our environment because he wants us to love them as he loves us. And he wants their idiosyncrasies uh, to to shape me and get me back to the father to say, God, I can't do this without your help and without your grace. So, yeah, don't have any illusions about siblings and, and, and big families. They are good fun. And there's a lot uh, to, to say, yeah, this has been great. There's a lot of joy in there. But actually, there is also a lot of uh, difficulty and fight. Yeah. So I, I don't think this is about uh, creating the uh, a, a perfect image of family. No. But in my family, when we fall out, we go, no, this isn't what we want to be like. You know, this is to be a family where we're kind to each other. The number of times we say that to one another, uh, you know, we, we want to be kind because we're family. We love one another. We, we yes. want to we want the best for each other. We want to protect one another, not hurt one another. Like there's a, a calling to a greater yes. expression of what it is to be family than 
sometimes our natural desires rubbing off against each other cause. And I think that's the same in the church that we have to understand, you know, we're, we're all still learning to do this. Yes. We will fall down. We will butt up against each other. We yes. have wrong understandings. But what we're looking for is that higher picture where we don't just look a bit like our, our dad, but we become like him. Yes. And our dad's perfect. Yes. I'm not. Very often I look at my kids and I go, oh, you've done that, but you just copied me. <laughs> it's utterly <laughs> devastating. Oh, that's what I'm like. I'm so sorry I've given that to you. But God never goes, I'm so sorry I've made you patient. I'm so sorry that you've picked up that graciousness from me. Like everything he's got to impart to us is Wonderful. good. And so the family is, there's a, a calling us to, to be who we truly are. Now, we're not like that. We are kind. Um, in this family, we're kind. And I think, yeah, it's messy. Yes, we're going to bump up against one yes. another. Yes, perfection will only be on the other side of Jesus's return. But there is something of the family dynamic means that there is a, a greater picture of what we're pursuing. Mm. Yes. Um, we don't just rest in our yes. brokenness and our sin and our pain. Yes. We go, oh, there is something to attain to, to become yes. more like our dad. Hey, I'd love to see that more in my everyday life and in our sphere of influence. And, uh, and we're going to pray that God does bring that grace to bear. Uh, in our lives right now, Mark, would you pray for us as we come into land? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we just want to say, Father, that just to be able to call you Father is something that uh, is, is, is beyond really our understanding. And yet you have given us that royal privilege You have brought us into your family. You have made us sons and daughters. And I thank you for it. I thank you, Jesus, for the price you've paid for this. I thank you, Jesus, that you wanted us. You delighted in having the anguish of your soul poured out on a cross so that we would be siblings together with you. And Father, we just ask you now, would you send your Holy Spirit that we would have a real uh, revelation in our hearts of being a son, a daughter of God, and all that that flows out of us. Father, we have barely scratched the surface in what we've said, but it opens up so many avenues of relationship, so many opportunities in you. Father, for you are God and we are your created ones. And so, Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. We just pray right now for any who have experienced a brokenness in family, who have never known their fathers or their fathers hurt them uh, in some way. And, Father, those uh, who have gone through the adoptive process and Uh, have found themselves, uh, again, not experiencing a a, a joyful and happy outcome. We pray for a healing of hearts and minds. We thank you. There's a grace for us to restore uh, what has been taken from us. So, Father, we just pray. We pray that this will have huge impact on our lives as we awaken to the reality that we have been adopted as sons in you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. So a wide-ranging conversation. Thank you so much, guys. Next week, we move on to verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. We're looking at redemption through his blood. And I think that's a 
fascinating and really helpful and important gear change uh, as we move through the next few phrases of this incredible passage looking at God's glorious grace. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you've enjoyed this, please do uh, review us, leave us a rating, maybe five stars if you want. Send it to a friend that you think might enjoy it or benefit from listening to and we will see you next time out on God's glorious grace. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>